Welcome back, Ford Explorers. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to remind you guys that we are on social media. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have Patreon. If you want to support us, get a subliminal shout out. And don't forget, we have our hotline. Usually we tell you a story, but if you want to tell us a story, text us, call us, send a carrier pigeon to our hotline. Mm -hmm. Tell us your story, share us what you have to share. And other than that, have fun, enjoy this week's episode. Explorers. That was probably really loud. I apologize. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. It's nice to see you. I'm the Colonel, of course. You may or may not know that. This is my son, Caleb. Caleb, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Moved into a, uh, a new spot in the past week, so I've been dealing with moving. Um, haven't really had any ghost encounters this week, which I guess is good for a new place. You don't want to... I was in the bar two days ago, I think maybe three days ago, and I was talking to one of our bartenders, and while we were talking, um, like mid-conversation, I said, this place is really haunted, and as I said it, all the lights started flashing. Nice. Yeah. We have, like, twinkle lights. Caleb's run it up before, but they changed colors a lot, and they were just set on their crappy, normal white, you know, when half of them work. Yeah. Why is that? Why are those LED lights like that? Why... Why is white the band that doesn't work, but all the colors work? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we hope you're well, guys. This is our fourth week of spooky season. The fourth out of five. Next week will be the last one. Because, yes. you know, Halloween and all of that. Uh, this week we are talking about a fun one. Because this one's kind of a twofer. It's not just uh, a mummy. And it's not just a haunted house. but Or... Honestly, it's three for because there's a little urban legend in there too. Yeah. Because the way I came to know about Elmer McCurdy was that he was an urban legend. But before we get into that, as has become tradition, we'll do a couple headlines. I'll start with my first story of the day, which uh, in, I don't know, kind of bummer news, uh, Google Maps will now track a forest fire layer from the satellite view. So how you could before see the boundary of pretty much anything else. Now you can also click, they've used this type of technology previously for emergency protocols mm -hmm. to be able to tell people where the flood is going to be, where the fire is going to be. Now it happens so commonly, and that's probably not fair. The technology is just there. But we also live in a world where forest fires are happening at a more devastating rate and a lot faster. I will say that, you know, as a person who grew up in Arizona, um, the Rodeo Chetta Sky Fire, which I'm not sure is still the biggest fire there ever was, but for a number of years it was. Brutal, man. You don't, there's so many, there's like a whole culture in that state of being a force, you know, like being a wild firefighter. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of that, the wildfire, fire, fire, <laughs> smoke jumper, stuff like that. But that's, it's fascinating. It's, it'll be very convenient for your next California road trip next summer. It's like, oh man, I'm supposed to have dinner downtown, but I'm running late. I'm going to turn them off. The fire, like the forest fire <laughs> yeah. avoidance. How you can't, like, <laughs> the tolls and stuff. You're like, I guess I have to drive through the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, it's like uh, recalculating. There's a shorter route, but it's through <laughs> forest fire. It's like, you know, 
I'm supposed to be there at 7.30, and it's 7 right now. Forest fire it is. Sorry. I'll get new tires next week. That's going to end up. People don't realize it, but the reason that uh, the Cybertruck feels so, like, predecent isn't because it's a big, dumb triangle. It's because it's an apocalypse mobile. Yeah. You'll be able to drive through forest fires, earthquakes, all kinds of shit with that divorce. thing. Divorce. Divorce. <laughs> Three divorces. Hair plugs. <laughs> yeah, two anti-vax rallies, four oh. school board meetings, and a partridge in a pear tree. What's your first story, Kill? My first story comes all the way from Somerset, England. Which all the way from Somerset. All the way, um, which is the host of the Glattonsbury Festival, which hosts around 200,000 music fans every year. Yeah, Glastonbury's huge. I used to work for a guy, and all we did was music festivals, and he kind of got his start at Glastonbury. But it's if any of you have watched that uh, Woodstock 99 documentary, mm-hmm. that's Glastonbury Every year. Nice. It's nice. really muddy. It's really gross. Well, uh, they're also endangering the local species <laughs> because, uh, according to a new study, inebriated festival attendees leak harmful levels of illegal drugs into a nearby river via public urination. <laughs> um, and it's actually putting a rare European eel, uh, which is a protected species, I in danger. Oh, we're eels. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense, though. That, that sounds because it sounds like you know, like real surf food. Yeah, here's your eel soup. <laughs> like just like jellied eels. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, according to a study published in the Environmental Research Journal, um, they said that they measured water upstream and downstream from where the festival was held uh, before, during, and after the 2019 Glattonsbury Festival. And records show the amount of MDMA was 104 times greater downstream than upstream in weeks after the festival. <laughs> so it is staying there well, weeks. You, you, yeah, you, you metabolize it pretty fast, but it's going to stay in the, in the water. <laughs> well, I, when you mentioned that uh, you had mentioned this headline to me, but not the whole story. Um, one of the ways that they can tell what communities are consuming what drugs at what level mm-hmm. is they take uh, samples of the sewage. And the sewage will tell you, you know, every year there are these, you'll see, or at least, you know, the news sites I follow, you'll see a story or two that pertains to, you know, this college city did 10% more cocaine this year. And that's how you know. Yeah. 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 So it's very funny that it's gotten so bad that it's polluting. It's interesting that uh, something like that hasn't happened at, like, Bonnaroo. But my thought on that is that the water in, like, the Ohio and all the rivers around there are also heavily polluted by companies like DuPont. But I'm not really sure that it would matter. Teflon and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I like to think there's a really broke stoner out there, though, that, like, the week after the festival, he's just at the banks and he's like... (laughs) (laughs) oh my god there's definitely been a couple (laughs) scenes written on like how to reprocess that mud back into mdma i'm surprised i've never done it (laughs) to be honest well i'm so sorry for audio listeners to hear me just slurp mdma water (laughs) sorry about that if you just crash your car i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) well uh somewhat related at least in terms of like genetic makeup uh crispr for those who maybe don't know crispr's uh technology it's basically the app for your genes yes um and it allows people to do some gene editing, and it's opening that door up much wider sort of every day. And uh, NPR gave a story a couple days ago about um, some CRISPR patients that were legally blind that through stem cell injections from CRISPR programs have been able to regain vision, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Because regaining sight is something that's significantly more difficult. We've figured out 
uh, sound a little bit better mm -hmm. because of vibrations. So, you know, cochlear implants and stuff like that, those are pretty effective. I don't really have uh, something like that for the eyes. And as somebody, myself, who has a bum eye, that's pretty cool to hear. It'd yeah. be interesting to think, I wonder if I could take some of those stem cells and repair some of the damage in my eye. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Let's find out. Let's go. I want to line them. Let's do some lines of stem cells. Is that how you do them? Uh, <laughs> stem cells. That's a that's a detail they left out of Cyberpunk. That should have been in there. <laughs> you take a you take a baby and you crush it. And you no, you gotta torture it first because it's adrenochrome. Yeah, you know? and it got to be really really upset before you drink the blood. <laughs> that, at least that's what they told me at the Masons meeting. Uh, my last article. Speaking of seeing things and things in water, uh, an amateur Israeli scuba diver uh, was scuba diving as he does. Um, near his but not local beach, not professionally. No. He was an amateur. No one would pay uh, this guy to do that. And he found a bunch of ancient artifacts, including a large sword that uh, is supposedly uh, belonged to a crusader knight about nine hundred years ago. Oh, uh, the sword was a meter long blade and a hilt measuring nearly a foot in length. It's so, funny that the blade's a meter, but the handle's a foot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he also found uh, a bunch of metal and ancient um, stoneware, pottery, a very old anchor. Okay. Um, so he's just out there finding stuff and bringing it back uh, uh, to the point where Israeli's foreign affairs ministry was like, hey, man, we need those. <laughs> those are ours now. And he's like, come on, man, I found these. I'm, yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised that the Israeli foreign ministry is letting him do it at all. And if we know anything, now that the Israeli uh, foreign affairs ministry has these ancient artifacts, especially if they belong to a crusader, that means any day now Hobby Lobby will steal yep. those <laughs> we'll have them, and yeah. sell them to <laughs> some sort of evangelical minister. Dude, it's crazy. It's wild to me to think that, like, one of the gnarlier things culturally that the Nazis did during, I mean, obviously everything, <laughs> but one of the like real scorched earth terror bad things. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, that's not what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But the their campaigns to round up all the art and all of the like important emotional inspirational material yeah. in the world just to hang on to it yeah. is. Honestly, it doesn't bug me because I'm not a Christian, so Hobby Lobby doing it doesn't really bug me. But it it's some pretty shady shit, man. And it's not like, I don't know, I'm surprised Hobby Lobby hasn't faced more persecution for that. Because, yeah. like, it's, we're talking about a store that sells the cheapest Chinese bullshit for you to film your or fill your farmhouse with. And they also, on the side, steal religious artifacts. Excuse me? Like, could you imagine? Imagine being Indiana Jones and he rolls in and <laughs> he's like, he rolls into the secret bad guy's warehouse. You know, that big warehouse has all the shit in it. And they're wearing Woolworths uniforms. It's just like, is this a fucking Sears? He's like, I must steal the amulet of Michael's. Joanne's fabrics. So the shrouding turret opens up a chest and he's like, it's the elusive. Joanne's fabric. <laughs> it was nestled next to the Shroud of Turin. Jesus's best friend, Joanne. <laughs> but yeah, you're just stealing art left and right. It's crazy, man. It really, really is. <laughs> in, in World War II, Hitler was like, if it is not a shitty picture of a German shepherd, I want that shit gathered up and burnt. He's just jealous. He's like, you guys didn't like my paintings? If I can't paint, no one can paint. Uh, Asshole. Anyway. So, on to the main story of the yes. day. Uh, talking about inept 
I, I'm not going to call Elmer McCurdy an asshole. I think that's unfair. Elmer, by all accounts, just seemed like a dipshit. Yeah. You know, he's a different flavor of inept. He yeah. never, it, the, there wasn't a lot of malice in what he was doing. He was just bad at everything he set out to do. He was definitely the main character of a Coen's brother film. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I can't believe there isn't a Coen Brothers movie about this because this story is legitimately... We're going to talk about Elmer. So Elmer was a not, well, a very famed but not very good outlaw at the end of the Wild West, would go on to become a mummy. And then we're going to talk about what happened to his body afterwards and how it wound up being discovered by the TV crew of the $6 million man. <laughs> and where was it sometime? What was the tiny, the pike? Uh, the pike, yeah, in, in, Long, in Long Beach. Beach. Which, oh man, a, a, like an off-brand funhouse in Long Beach, California, is just about the saddest place for one mummy to end up, you know? So anyway, before we get to the mummy stuff, the funhouse stuff, let's talk about Elmer. Who was Elmer? So let's get in our, our like, little uh, time machines here, and we're traveling all the way back to January 1st, 1880. Okay. So uh, I was led to believe that they're telephone booths. There's a doctor that flies around in one. There's these two stoners that have one. Um, yeah. yeah, it could be whatever you want, but... <laughs> Ours is uh, a table and some microphones and two laptops. <laughs> in the bottom of a spaceship. In the bottom of a spaceship that they don't know we're in because they actually evicted us a couple weeks ago. <laughs> they said care. that we make fun of the people that pay the majority of the rent too much. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> and we've been down here since. So uh, Elmer McCurdy was born in Washington, Maine, not to be confused with Maine, Washington. Uh <laughs> Or Portland, Oregon. No, uh, Washington, Maine, on January 1st, 1880. I am going to be honest with you. I didn't know there were other towns in Maine other than Banger. And is Bar Harbor? I think that might be Massachusetts anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I hate Boston, so I never go any further north than that. I lived in New York for years, but I just won't go above Boston because I don't care. I, I've been... To, like, Vermont, which is lovely. Yeah. Great cheese. Nice people. New Hampshire's a shithole. <laughs> New Hampshire's weird because it's, like, the only state in New England where you see dudes in fucking stars and bars hats. And it's like, you, do you know which side of that border you're on, feller? That's like seeing Confederate <laughs> flags in upstate New York. And you're like, wow, um, vacation home? <laughs> <laughs> you a, you, you're a damn Yankee. You know that now, right? Yeah, it, it blows my mind, but I just won't go any further north. I know Maine's nice. I know it's nice. I just don't care. The funny thing is, I'm pretty sure the only towns in Maine I can name aren't real. <laughs> like, they're only Stephen King. I'm pretty sure Maine is just a state that Stephen King made up. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of the stuff. That's fair. Yeah, all of the shit I know about Maine is from Stephen <laughs> King novels. So, Washington, Maine, home of the killer clown. Um, <laughs> he was born January 1st, 1880, uh, to a 17-year-old woman named Sadie McCurdy. Okay. Uh, she was unmarried. Little Sadie. And uh, at the time of his birth, had no idea who the father was. Well, you know, that's possible, especially at that young age. Um, Still happens. Some some people theorize that it was uh, Sadie's cousin, Charles Smith. Okay. Um, McCurdy later in his life would use Charles Smith as a alias in okay. his crimes. But they weren't really sure who the father was. She was 17 years old when she had Elmer. Um, so to kind of save Sadie's public image... And the embarrassment and shame that came with raising an illegitimate, illegitimate child at the time. Yeah. Um, her brother, George, and his wife, Helen, actually adopted Elmer. Okay. Um, ten years passed. When, when Elmer is ten years old, George actually dies of tuberculosis. And um, Sadie and Helen move with Elmer to Bangor, Maine. Okay. Um, I hardly know where Maine is. <laughs> uh, 
And then while they're moving, Sadie eventually tells Elmer, like, hey, Helen's not actually your mom. I'm your mom. Uh... Like, do you think that was uh, in like a moment of defiance? Do you think she waited to tell her that she was like, that he was like, I'm not fucking doing that. You're not my real mom. Hey, uh, Elmer, can you clean your room? No, you're not my real mom. Actually, <laughs> you know uh, I've had enough of this shit. I am your real mom. Helen's not your mom. She's your dad. <laughs> no, uh, let him know that Sadie was actually his mom, not Helen. And she doesn't know who his biological father was. Sure. And this made Elmer super, like, distressed and disturbed, and he became very resentful towards his family. Yeah. And, uh, They're called daddy issues? Yeah. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> um, and so as he got into his teenage years, he became more resentful and unruly and rebellious. And when he hit, like, 15, he started drinking heavily. Hit the sauce, baby. He hit the sauce, and it was a habit he would continue for most of his life. Bear in mind when he was alive. You yeah. know, it's... We make it sound terrible, but there we were drunker then. You know, this is not where this is the eighteen. Well, the turn of the the twentieth century is about nineteen hundred. Yeah, well, no, so it's eighteen ninety. That's ninety five. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he turned fifteen. And he's like, oh, midlife crisis. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, but then it was like, I, it's the military, or I become a drunk. Drunk it is. Uh, so he did both. So. Um, <laughs> McCurdy, once he got to be 17, 18 years old, he uh, returned to Maine to live with his grandpa and became an apprentice plumber. Okay. Uh, his grandpa was Mario. Uh, <laughs> no, but he... He's he, normal now. <laughs> um, he was a competent worker and actually lived pretty comfortably until uh, the economic downturn in 1898. Um, ah, yes. You know, the... One of the many recessions in the U.S. history. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he lost his job, and then, so he was already down on his luck then, and then in August of 1900, uh, Sadie actually died from a ruptured ulcer. Ooh. And he was like, well, this sucks, I just lost my job. And then a couple months go back, and he's like, well, this sucks, my mom that I didn't know was my mom for most of my life just died. Yeah. He's like, how could things get any worse? <laughs> and then a month later, a his, piano <laughs> fell on his head. his grandfather died of Bright's disease. What's Bright's disease? Uh, Bright's disease, I don't know. Quick cut. <laughs> I'll stay very still. Uh, so Bright's disease is a kidney disorder that okay. usually comes with smoking. Oh, that makes um, sense. Also, you know, like poor water diets can yeah, give you kidney yeah. issues. Uh, basically, it's when there is swelling of the kidney and a uh, presence of albuminium okay. in the urine. Okay. So yeah. your kidneys aren't fully processing your urine and it slowly poisons you. Oh, shit. Um, it's usually comes with uh, high blood pressure and uh, heart disease as well. Yeah. But it's just your kidneys not fully filtering the shit out of them. That's, yeah. Um, so, loses his job. The economy goes to shambles. He loses his job. He loses his mom. He loses his grandpa. He loses his mind. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, fuck it. He leaves Maine and just starts drifting around eastern United States, uh, where he was like, you know, I need to get a new job. What's a good, healthy job I can support myself with? Lead miner. <laughs> and also plumber. He's like, I'm going to get the lead. I'm going to work with the lead. <laughs> but, I mean, at the turn of the 20th century, being a lead miner would have paid well. Oh, 100%. It would have been an easy job to get, and it would have paid well. That is if he held the job. Yeah. So, well, that's what I mean, because as we will come to see, 
he's such an incompetent dunce. His his alcoholism takes a, a very hard turn. He's unable to hold a job because of his alcoholism. And he finally like makes his way to Kansas. He he arrives to Kansas. He's like, I'm a plumber. Uh, he arrives to the town of Cherryvale and he's like, you guys need a plumber? And they're like, yep, we need a plumber. And he's like, cool, I'll be your plumber. And then he disappears. <laughs> and he then moves to uh, Iola, Kansas, where in 1905 he gets arrested for public intoxication. And a drunk. He's like, you guys need a plumber? You guys <laughs> asshole. I've been drinking um, my whole life. <laughs> you guys are never going to believe this. My aunt was my mom. <laughs> Well, then she was my mom and not my aunt. And then my dad, who wasn't my dad, he died too. I don't know. He had tuberculosis. My, <laughs> uh, my grandpa told me how plump and he died too. You know where this guy would have fit in? Uh, is he would have. New real- Jersey. <laughs> no, I was going to say <laughs> fucking Larica. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, so he gets arrested and they move him or to. Larima. That's Larima, yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen that episode, it's super fun. Yeah. Uh, it's a missing persons case that happened in 2017. It's about Patty Moriarty. Somebody definitely killed him, and somebody also probably turned him into meat pies. Mm-hmm. You should check out that episode. It's great. But uh, he gets arrested, and they move him to Webb City, Missouri, uh, to then be put into prison. Webb City sounds like a Batman villain's lair, you know? Like, well, I guess more accurately, sounds like one of Spider-Man's villain's yeah. lairs. But. That or a, uh, like... 2002 after school special about using the internet effectively. Dude, yes. Absolutely. We gotta travel to Web City. <laughs> yeah. We're going to the chat room cafe. Here we go, Mambo Hotel. No, just naked people dancing. You want a fucking couch? <laughs> it's really rare. <laughs> Uh, good old Elmer McCurdy does his short stint in jail for public intoxication, um, and then gets out, and he's just living his life until 1907, <laughs> to where he's like, oh man, I can't keep a job because I'm an alcoholic, I should join the army. <laughs> Isn't that what your real dad did? Oh, he joined the Marines. <laughs> so, he uh, joins the U- United States Army and gets assigned to Fort Leavenworth. Which, uh, when we were doing Discovery, you pointed out a very funny thing about Fort Leavenworth. Dude, Leavenworth at the turn of the 20th century was, like, one of the gnarliest forts and prisons. Because it was the, like, far western border of expansion. And as the California campaigns were making, basically at that point the train had made it into Wyoming. So that's as wide as the country was. So right after the Louisiana Purchase, immediately, you know still within the same generation of right after the civil war. So yeah, like it was uh, a lot of the like Westerns and heavy shit that happened in Texas happened around Fort Leavenworth. Yeah. Leavenworth is still a hell of a prison to end up in. But, uh, he gets accepted into the army. They're taking whoever they want. And, um, he becomes a machine gun operator and is trained to use nitroglycerin for demolitions. I mean, you know what's wild, too? is we're, So we're talking with 1905. So, like, this is relatively new stuff. I yeah. mean, the Magnum gun, the chain gun, as we know it, the original one, the triangular one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Magnum gun, that only goes back probably 20 years before that. You know, so nitroglycerin, dynamite. Dynamite is what allowed all this stuff to happen. That's the middle of the 1800s. So... I'm just saying, I'm emphasizing how modern he was. Yeah. You know, he was trying to be 
I say that because this dude's whole life feels like he was running away from something he couldn't fix. And it's very indicative that when he joined the military, he was like, how far away from what I have right now can I get? Yeah. Give me the biggest, craziest shit that I can't do in my day-to-day life. I want to do that. And it's because he didn't want to live his day-to-day life. They're like, you're in charge of machine guns and nitroglycerin. And he's like, awesome. And so he was in active military for three years. And he's like, mom, I'm a Terminator. He's so November 7th, 1910, he, uh, he gets honorably discharged. Um, and he makes his way to St. Joseph, Kansas, where he meets up with an army friend and they're like, all right, well, we have these new skills. Um, let's, Change our life for the better. Let's do something with our lives with these new skills we found. And he's finally not totally fucked something up. So, are you as disappointed as I am when somebody gets uh, discharged like honorably? You know, <laughs> you didn't do anything cool. Yeah, that just you clocked out. You don't have to tell me that. You just, <laughs> I mean, here you is did probably. what you were supposed to. Like, that's, I don't know how honorable that is, but especially as a fucking well, we won't get into that. <laughs> so, uh, November nineteenth. Of uh, 1910, he and his army buddy um, get arrested. <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> because they were drunk? No, it's because they were possessing burglary paraphernalia. Ooh. On them, they had chisels, hacksaws, funnels for nitroglycerin, <laughs> gunpowder, and money sacks. They had burlap sacks, burlap sacks with the dollar sign on them. <laughs> Officer, those are for craps. They're for craps. So the, the, the story makes the news, and the news says, uh, you know, we're going to interview you guys, give you guys a chance to clear your name. Where are you going to use these tools to perform burglaries? And they said, no, that's ridiculous. Those were tools not intended for burglary purposes, but they, we, we needed those tools to work on the foot-powered machine gun we're inventing – Officer, you don't understand. I'm a genius inventor. I'm this close to the bipedal machine gun. So if you could just chill out. You know a bicycle? Yeah, we know a bicycle. You know how a Gatling gun, you have to do this to get it to work? Yeah, hear me out. <laughs> Doing this with your feet. And so... In that- <laughs> I feel like that's how millennial or Gen Z will agree to go to war, is if they get to go in a, oh, God, I'm going to blow this joke. What do they call it? Peloton class. Yeah. It's like, you get to go, but you have to be on your Peloton. That's how they got millennials, is they uh, were like, hey, do you like playing Xbox? Well, you can do drone strikes with an Xbox controller. Now they're going to be like, hey, do you like Peloton bikes? <laughs> How would you like to decimate a small village by cycling? <laughs> I love the idea that the military finds the most popular innoc- innocuous thing, and they're like, you want to use it to murder? I bet you could kill 40, 50, 60 innocent civilians with that. I bet you could kill six kids at a time with that Peloton bike. For Gen Zers, what they're going to do, and they're like, hey, we, we love your self-deprecating humor <laughs> and your constant want to die. So we set up this little simulation. You can kill yourself however many ways you want. And it's actually linked up to a robot like Chappie. And instead of you doing that to yourself, it does that to just random civilians. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like this idea. It's a good idea for a video. It is. It's. I also just realized I kind of just described Ender's Game. You did pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, that's very Hey, accurate. you know this video game you've been playing? You actually just committed genocide. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, so uh, January 1911, uh, the jury was like, oh, you're telling us that those aren't tools for burglary. 
There are tools for your new invention. The foot-powered machine gun. Yeah, that seems right. And they found him not guilty <laughs> and sent him on his way. I mean, in in all fairness, you know, probably the the their reputations, what they had done, the fact that they were like EOD guys mm-hmm. in the military and weapons guys. And, you know, at the time, it probably was a fantastical enough invention yeah. that it didn't sound like a lie. That's I, I've been talking. I talked about this the other day with some friends of like. You can go to any point in past history and just kind of get away with any crime if you come up with a good enough cover story. Yeah. Because you could be like, hey, did you murder those 15 people in Iowa? And you could be like, no, I was in California. (laughs) And they're like, all right, we got no real way to prove it, so I guess you were in California. (laughs) Dude, um, one of my favorite examples of that is John Dillinger. Because Dillinger... He escaped from jail twice, like escaped from custody, like Mm -hmm. in jail, in custody. And the first time he showed up with, well, he didn't show up. He was already there. But about eight of his boys showed up with Tommy guns and just lit the police up, killed everybody and took it. Yeah. So the second time after he got caught in Tucson and he was going to jail in the Midwest, they locked him up and he made, he knew they were afraid of him and they knew he had this reputation. So he just made a little fake gun out of soap. It looked terrible. It just looks like a little kid made a gun and he, he colored it black, but because they knew what he was capable of. It just took that one soap and he, he walked right out of that jail. Yeah, because they're like, no, absolutely not. Fuck no, no. We're just at work, buddy. We're not doing this. We know how you are. It's like there's a, an old episode of the Fantastic Four um, cartoon and Magneto's like, you guys can't do anything. And Reed Richards just pulls out a gun. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic. He's like, oh yeah? Well, I took your powers away. And Magneto's like, whatever. And tries to get the gun to come to him and it doesn't come. And he goes... I surrender? Uh, you got me. You took my powers away. And he's like, no, I didn't. It's a wooden gun. <laughs> uh, so they find him not guilty. They release him from county jail. McCurdy says, you know, this was a real close encounter with the law. I should really straighten up my life. Time to become a train robber, baby. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, too, is this guy feels like very much like an opportunist. You know, like yeah. he didn't have very much a feral human being. Doesn't have a lot of connections. Has this freedom to kind of be out in the West doing yeah. stuff. Has military experience. Knows how guns and bombs work. Yeah. 1911 um, sort of earmarked the end of what we know as the outlaw era. And that's because the Colt 1911 was brought into the market in 1911 and that gun really changed a lot of things because it was a gun that was made government ordinance which meant that most cops but all federal newly formed federal agents would have them and you can be as good of a gunslinger as you want but that 3030 or that yeah <laughs> it doesn't stand a fucking chance that gun can hold nine bullets some of them have 12 15 bullets you know semi-automatic fire that one gun changed a lot of things and sure other stuff was changing though the world was sort of evolving. We were not in a dissimilar place from where we are kind of now in that the world for about 30 or 40 years had been robbed by these barons and they had Mm -hmm. taken everything they could and we were kind of trying to survive. So in the same way that I'm surprised that Elon Musk, now this is going to get, we're already so fucking demonetized, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm surprised Elon Musk hasn't been fucking robbed in public. I can't believe that nobody has taken Bezos captive. Like, I know that I'm talking about like a level of savagery that seems inappropriate or whatever, but again, not a Christian. So I'm just really surprised that at no point somebody hasn't just snagged Musk at one of these things and been like, give me 10 million fucking dollars or I'm going to drop you off this fucking building. Yeah. Because... It's easy to do with Bezos. He's got that fucking blind spot with his wonky eye. 
Yeah. He's come up and smacked the back of his big bald head. Well, he's also, yeah, he's like, isn't he like five and a half feet tall? No, but he's fucking yoked. I don't know if you've seen a recent picture of, he's, he is built, he is turning into some sort of weird testicle monster. <laughs> he's got, he's hurt, his feelings are hurt. Everybody's constantly talking shit about him, and he's like, I'll show them, I'll be muscly, I, which will change Something! He says, ha, 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 ha. His fucking laugh is crazy. It is. Anyway, uh, so yeah. Uh, McCurdy says, fuck this. I'm done being on the straight and narrow. Not that I was ever any good at it. I'm going to rob trains. I'm going to rob banks and trains. So he's like, let me see. What skills do I have? Elmer McCurdy's exactly the type of guy who plays Red Dead Redemption now. Yeah. yeah. Red Dead Online is all Elmer McCurdy's. Sorry, he said, continue. He said, well, what skills do I have to become an effective bank and train robber? Oh, I know. The training I got in the military with nitroglycerin. <laughs> I'm good, so I'm good I'm with use, dynamite. I'm going to use a ton of nitroglycerin to take on these banks and trains. So we get to March 1911, and McCurdy makes his way to Lenapa, Oklahoma, where he and three other men decide to rob the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train because he heard legend that in a car there was a safe with $4,000 in it. Love it. So they're like, we are going to stop this train and s- blow open the safe and steal what's inside, the $4,000. Pop culture talks, you know, obviously so much. I mean, has sort of invented the idea of what a train robbery looks like. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we only really know about the super successful ones, like that one that Jesse James pulled off with his gang, you know, where he stood on the oil car. Yeah. It's so, it's so burned into people's minds and stuff. I wonder how many of them just, just fucking sucked. I wonder how many times they got the wrong train. Because I know when I live in large cities, I sometimes get on the wrong subway, and I'm just a stoner. I could only imagine what this inept dipshit would show up on a train and be like, freeze, motherfuckers! And it's like a bunch of little kids. <laughs> so, oh, uh, give, give me what you got, shit! What'd you get? I got about $13 off from kids. <laughs> yeah, this should be a Cohen Brothers movie. melted chocolate. <laughs> so, uh, the four men uh, successfully stopped the train. They stopped the train, they hop on, they locate the safe. They're like, cool, all, all of our intel is correct. And they're like, McCurdy, it's your turn. So he goes, he puts nitroglycerin charge on the safe door. And the safe is like, this big, you know. And he just puts a giant brick of nitroglycerin (laughs) right on there and sets the charge. He used way too much. So the safe was completely destroyed. So was a majority of the money inside. They managed to get, like I said, the safe contained $4,000. They managed to get $450. (laughs) 10%. And it was silver coins that had been melted. (laughs) It was silver coins, most of which were melted and fused into the safe's frame. (laughs) You know what's hilarious about that is they took over a train, a moving piece of property, they blew open a fucking safe because all of this is so heavy that you can't just carry it on horseback. And in doing so, they guaranteed that they have to carry it on horseback. Like, where's the money? It's in the safe. <laughs> so about carrying the safe. I know when we were coming up here, I was like, how do you feel about carrying the safe? And you're just popping off the silver coins of the crowbar. It's <laughs> the nacho uh, rule. <laughs> so that is in March. They're like, they're laying low. They're like, guys, I have intel. Uh, he gets another crew together and he says, the Citizens Bank and uh, Chattooga, Kansas, we're going we're gonna to do it. So September of 1911. I don't think that's how that conversation necessarily went. I think it was probably like, okay, well, now we've got to rob another fucking bank. 
Elmer, would you like hey, to do uh, a like this? Do you think they made him practice? They're like, you go down to the quarry and you figure out how to blow up a goddamn safe and you don't come back until you know. Hey, man, you used way too much nitroglycerin in that last one. Maybe get your ratios right. And he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. What if we just do a bigger safe? So, you know, like a vault. <laughs> That's just so funny. Instead of dialing it down, he's like, well, what if we just do a bigger save? They're not like, hey, you got your recipe wrong. Can you, like, rejigger it? He's like, oh, I don't know how it works. That's the only one I have. Can we just do a bigger save? Listen, they taught me one thing in the army, and it's how to make this one specific charge. Maybe, like, a bigger safe? Um, he's so fucking inept that he can't cut the recipe in half. It's like <laughs> it's like when you accidentally cook dinner, and you're not paying attention, and it's like pasta or something, and you finish it, and you're like, oh, fuck, this is for six people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like I'm eating a lasagna for the next three and a half months. I'm going to so. eat my shame. Um, so they go to the Citizens Bank, and they spend two hours breaking through the bank wall with a hammer. <laughs> so they're just chipping away at this bank wall, and they get in, and the dust settles, and the light's coming from behind, and Elmer McCurdy's like, it's my time to shine. <laughs> so he runs up to the bank's outer vault. He, uh, he puts a nitroglycerin charge on. He lights it up, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> blasts so hard and so much it blows the vault door through the front of the bank <laughs> I've just seen somebody across the street reading the paper it's like <laughs> just it destroys the it's entire like the, interior of the bank. It's the beginning of uh, Children of Men. Spoiler alert to those of you who haven't seen it, but it's just like the beginning of that. Just like, what the fuck was that? Uh, and inside the vault was the safe that they kept the money. <laughs> it was not damaged Wait, one bit. He blew the vault door off? He blew the vault door off and it launched through the front of the bank. Inside were the safes and they did no damage to the safe. So <laughs> he's just a domestic terrorist. He's not a bank robber. He said, don't worry, guys. This is a really bad <laughs> prank. I have more nitroglycerin. I'll blow the door off the safe. And they're like, oh, fuck. This isn't a good sign. Let's so, just go, man. You know he's not going to. Is there paper money in here anywhere? He puts the charge on the safe. He lights it. It never goes off. <laughs> There's got to be a dude in this crew who has had enough of Elmer's shit, man. And so, do you think uh, it's the guy who went on to write Elmer Fudd? Do you think Elmer this is Elmer Fudd? <laughs> I, think, I think Elmer Fudd is based on Elmer McCurdy. So the lookout guy is like, "What is going on in there? Oh shit!" See some cops runs away. So the guys that are in the bank are like, "Well, we got to get out of here." So they steal. They blew the fucking vault door off into the street and they left with 150 big bones. Uh $150 that were just sitting in a tray outside of the safe. They just scooped them out, put them in their pocket and fled. It's like trying to rob a gas station, not getting it, and then I'm grabbing the pennies on the way out. Yeah, well, I'll take these. They're like, those are for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> take take a penny, leave a penny. He's like, I'm taking all the pennies, and I'm leaving you with this. Imagine uh, going into a 7-Eleven, putting a gun in his face, and be like, give me all the pennies. <laughs> give me the pennies. I'm going to take one, leave one thing. That's going to be a Sam Pepper prank. <laughs> Shooting my best friend in the back of the head as a prank. Um, so all the men split up and go their separate ways. And McCurdy makes his way to the ranch of a friend, um, Charlie Rivard, who lives near Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, you can hide out here. I have a hay shed. 
You can stay in the loft. And so he stays in the loft of the hay shed for a couple of weeks to lie low and also drink heavily. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's got to pass the time. So um, he finally musters up the strength. That was in September. A couple months pass. It is now October 4th. His bottle's empty. And, uh, his, yeah, his bottle's empty, and he's like, let's do another heist. <laughs> Um, he probably said it mid-burp like that, too. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> let's do a heist. <laughs> like he had been drinking since they stopped up until that moment, and he, like, finished his last beer and threw it, and was like, oh, it's my last beer. Heist time, <laughs> baby! <laughs> so he gets two accomplices together. And Is this sitting. Trevor Phillips' grandfather? Uh, they're sitting in a, in a bar, and he rolls out a piece of paper, and he says, listen, guys, Katie Train, $400,000 in cash. <laughs> in cash? Yes, it is a royal payment to the Osage Nation. Okay. And we will steal it. It will be ours. We're going to steal native money? Uh-huh. This dude's the worst. <laughs> so, we're going to stop this train. We're going to get on there. He's like, trust me, this guy has given me good info before. <laughs> he told me there was a safe on a train that had $4,000 I fucked it up, but that money was there. There was a safe So I there. know that this is also good info. I'm probably going to blow this safe up, though, too. i got to be honest with you. They set it up. That's the good thing, though. Safe. Ah. Just in cash. They set it up. They stop the train. They hop on the train. They say, where? Why are there so many people on this train? <laughs> so it was, in fact, it's not. It wasn't a bunch of kindergartners. <laughs> it, uh, it was not the Katy train. It just happened to be. Um, they mistakenly stopped a passenger train instead. <laughs> Empty your wallets, I guess. So instead of getting uh, $400,000 in cash, they got $46 from a mail clerk. <laughs> Dude, the pay scale of how these guys did feels exactly how Red Dead is. Yeah. Like, if you hit a passenger train, you get like $6. But in the missions, if you hit one of the military trains, you somehow get $100,000. Uh, they got $46 from a mail clerk, two demijohns of whiskey, an automatic revolver, a coat, and what a train conductor's watch. Well, I mean, not a bad haul. Could have been a lot more. This bank or this train robbery went down in history because a newspaper... Later called it, quote, one of the smallest in the history of train robberies. <laughs> oh, look at your widow train robbery. <laughs> Disappointed by the haul, as he would be. He was thinking he was going to get it. I bet he was like, well, guys, this watch is really nice. <laughs> He's like, oh, man. All we got was $46, <laughs> a gun, a coat, a watch, and two demijohns of whiskey. And the other guys were like, just grabbing stuff from All him. you like, got was a comb oh, and a watch and some money, buddy. He's like, oh, man, I just got left with the whiskey. <laughs> so he goes back to the ranch, um, sits down, was like, oh, man, I I guess yeah. I'm going to drink these demijohns of whiskey. I totally forgot when you brought that up that he's a drunk. Because on during this, like, manic bank robbery there, or train robbery, they're probably, like, trying to find money. And they're like, Fuck, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's grab something. And, and everybody's, like, looking around for money. And he's like. Ooh, is that, is that, anybody got any booze? <laughs> so uh, Give me your wallet. Do you want my wallet? No. Do you have a flask? <laughs> Just take it, man. I don't want your fucking money. Get out of here. Do you have any booze? <laughs> um, so he's sitting in the hay, uh, hay shed. He's drinking these demijohns of whiskey. Um, at this time in his <laughs> life. and whiskey sitting in a loft. <laughs> he uh, 
has tuberculosis. He's got the TBs. Uh, that he developed while working in the, the lead mines. He has a mild case of pneumonia and trichinosis. <laughs> so he is living his best life. <laughs> um, just drinking these big glass jugs of whiskey. And unbeknownst to him, someone recognized who he was on the train. There is now a $2,000 reward for his capture. I'd like to point out that this man's life has turned to absolute dog shit. He's 31. Yes. He's 31 years old. Yep. <laughs> uh, he has tuberculosis and trichinosis, alcoholism. Pneumonia. He's destitute. He's Everyone in his family is dead. He's 30. He fucked up three robberies now. Yeah, he, has made a, he blew up a safe, then he blew up a vault and didn't blow up a safe. He has made a net profit he the wrong train? of $596. For him and his whole crew, not just him. In the entire year, $596 robbing three different places. Which is money, certainly then. There's a little bit more money than it is now, absolutely. But it wasn't that much more money. Whew. Especially when you thought it was 400000 and like... $406,000 is what you thought you were going to be getting? Absolutely. Man, yeah, that wrong train. That must have... After he blew up the fucking safe, yeah. and then he couldn't blow up the fucking safe, and then they're like, okay, well, at least this one doesn't have a safe. It won't be an issue. Then they get to this train, and it's full of kindergartners, <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. Give me your beer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's sitting there, and he falls asleep. Unbeknownst to him, three sheriffs are making their way to the hay shed. So uh, it's the next morning, it's October 7th, and three sheriffs, brothers Bob and Stringer Fenton, and my favorite sheriff of the group, Dick Wallace. <laughs> we've got some good, we were talking about this during Discovery, but this week, it's been a little while since we've had some really good names, but Stringer, always a good first name, uh -huh. and Dick Wallace, come on. Stringer Fenton and Dick Wallace, uh, they actually tracked McCurdy to the hay shed using bloodhounds. And they just surrounded it and waited for daylight. <laughs> and um, in an interview... That's how they got uh, Billy the Kid, right? Mm -hmm. They sat outside and yeah. sh shot at him for a while. Yeah, waited for him to come out and just started shooting into the building. But uh, Bob Fenton actually talked to uh, the Daily Examiner October 8th. Uh, and this is what was quoted in the paper. It began just about 7 o'clock. We were standing around waiting for him to come out. When the first shot was fired at me, <laughs> it missed me, and then he turned his attention a terrible to my shot. Brother, Stringer Finn. <laughs> he shot three times at Stringer, and when my brother got undercover, he turned his attention to Dick Wallace. <laughs> Not Dick. He kept shooting at us for about an hour. We fired back every time we could. We don't know who killed him. <laughs> <laughs> this feels so much to me like that. Uh, about uh, in the Battle of Buster Scruggs, one of the little shorts is about that guy robbing the bank in mm -hmm. the tins, and he comes running. <laughs> with the, it just makes me think of that. <laughs> <laughs> There's something because, like, if we were to fast forward a hundred years, not even that, not even that, seventy years, Waco, Texas, gas, machine guns, tanks, helicopters, all this stuff. There is three guys and one guy in a barn just throwing bullets at each other for an hour. <laughs> Nobody shot anybody. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah? Well, oh, yeah? Well, <laughs> just kind of. He said, uh, on the trail, we found one of the jugs of whiskey, which was taken from the train. <laughs> it, it was, was about empty. empty. <laughs> he was pretty drunk when he rode up to the ranch last night. Um, so, after about an hour, uh, the shooting dies down, and they're like, huh? I haven't heard a shot in a while. You want to go check out this hay shed? Like when you're listening to popcorn? They walk in, and McCurdy 
is face down <laughs> with a single shot through his chest. Maybe he did it. Dead as a doorknob. Yeah, maybe he did it. Maybe he was just like, well, I'm done. Uh, so they take his body. They send it to an undertaker in uh, Pashuka, Oklahoma, where it laid unclaimed. Because he doesn't have any family. Yeah, he's nobody. He's feral, man. Uh, he's so a feral man, man. Joseph L. Johnson, uh, the owner and undertaker, uh, embalmed the body with an arsenic-based preservative, which was typical in that time. Um, and they would do an oh, arsenic-based What's it going to do, kill him? Yeah. Uh, they would do it because it's the one that would preserve a body longer than regular formaldehyde. Okay. Um, and they would do that if they knew that no one would come along or take a while for next of kin to come along to that, pick up the body. That one's going to be on the shelf a little yeah. while. <laughs> um, he, he shaved his face, dressed the body in a nice suit, and stored it in the back of the funeral home, waiting for someone to come claim the body. Well, after a while, um, McCurdy laid unclaimed for quite some time because he had no family, as you yeah. said. Um, and yeah, no one's coming for him. And typically, when you have no one that IDs a body or claims a body, they bury it. But Johnson refused to bury or release the body until he was paid for his services. <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> he said, no one's giving me money. No one's coming to get this guy. I ain't burying him in the ground. That's just going to cost me more money. I'm not taking a day out of my life to do that. So what he does instead is he takes the suit off of the body. He puts it in some street clothes. He puts a rifle in his arms. He props it up in the corner of his funeral home, and he says, hey, guys, for a nickel, you can come see the bandit who wouldn't give up. <laughs> this feels so much like the Minnesota Iceman. Mm -hmm. Like, just making, like, because in that story, if we assume what was said is true, he accidentally shoots a Sasquatch, and then I was like, fuck, what do I do with it? I know. I'll put it on display. And bear in mind, this isn't quite as morbid as it sounds. It's definitely as, like, as much of a cash-in as oh, it yeah, sounds. Oh, yeah, 100%. But it was common to, like, show bodies then. You know, Lincoln, who had only died, what, 50 years previous, he was put on a damn train and taken around the country so everybody could see him before he died because mm, photos and stuff weren't the same. Yeah. You, you may have never seen the president. Yeah. You know, there was a chance. So it's not quite that morbid, I guess. But goddamn, like... And also the bandit that never gave up. Was he a bandit, though? Yeah. Don't you have to steal something to be a bandit? Yeah, he, uh, he had a bunch of different names that he was called. The Mystery Man of Many Aliases, the Oklahoma Outlaw, and the Embalmed Bandit. Yeah, uh, who knows what he was called for those years where we don't know where he was. Yeah. Uh, the bandit uh, became a popular attraction at the funeral home, and tons of people came to see it, including carnival promoters who gave uh, Johnson numerous offers to sell the corpse, but he always refused. He's like, nah, man, this is making me a fuck ton of money. Yeah. I'm keeping this. This dude started out as a pain in the ass to me. Now he's making me money. You can't have him. So this he's goes on money. for about five years. That was a great joke. I don't want... <laughs> so this goes on for about five years uh, to where on October 6th, 1916, a man calling himself Aver... Uh, contacted sure? Joseph Johnson. Mm -hmm. That's a that is a name I have never Avery certainly. Yeah, I hope that dude's name was Avery, and he was like, "Call me Avery," and everybody was like, "Do we Why? have to?" Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. Uh, <laughs> Call me Very. So uh, Avery contacts Joseph Johnson, and he says, "Hey, um, I'm Elmer McCurdy's long lost brother from California. Hey, uh, you know, Avery." 
He never knew his dad, but his dad is my dad too. Whenever we go out, the people always shout. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say his dad. McCurdy's long lost brother from California. Yeah, Elmer's uh, real last name is uh, Jingleheimer Schmidt. So he said, "Hey, um, I already contacted the uh, county sheriff, um, and I got an attorney to give me permission to take custody of the body and send it home to San Francisco for proper burial. We just really want our brother's body." Um, to which the following day, Aver arrived to the Johnson funeral home with another man named Wayne, who was also, he's like, this is also my brother, uh, Elmer's brother. Um, we're just really happy to have our brother back. We're going to bury him. We're going to send him back to San Francisco. Wayne Jingleheimer. So they pay Johnson. Um, they're like, thank you so much. Uh, Johnson releases the body to the men. They put it on a train and... Um, it does not go to San Francisco. Oh? How is this guy, even when he's dead, on the wrong train? Yep. <laughs> so the two the two brothers, Aver and Wayne, uh, McCurdy's long-lost brothers, they put him on the train. They, they slap the side of the train, and it starts going backwards. And they said, ha, ha, ha. And they peel the mustaches <laughs> off. They weren't his long-lost brothers at all. Oh, no! They were, in fact, James and Charles Patterson. <gasps> Those damn Patterson boys. The owner of the great Patterson carnival shows, a traveling carnival. I wonder how many times they pulled those capers. These men heisted the outlaw's body. They stole a cowboy mummy. So uh, Charles tells James, the owner of the great James carnival, or the great Patterson carnival shows, hey, I've been hearing a lot of buzz about this embalmed bandit up in Oklahoma. I think you need that for your carnival. That phrase. Uh, <laughs> so they put together this little scheme where they would be his brothers, take possession of the body, and feature it in Patterson's carnival. I was just thinking uh, it would be very funny if those dudes were, like, very clearly not his brothers. Like, hi. Like, his name's not Aver. It's Aver. And he's, like, this big-ass black French guy. And he's like, that is my brother. <laughs> I am here to pick him up. I'm taking him home to France. And then he's like, I don't think that's... And this here is my brother, Wayne. And Wayne's like, how's it going, partner? I'm Wayne. <laughs> I don't think you're his... We're his brothers. We, we are. It's uh, because it's like... We're kin. The West in the early 1900s. Yeah, it's a, a big black French guy and a very small Chinese-American man. <laughs> With a southern accent. Yeah, and he's like, yep, that's our brother. <laughs> it's like... I mean, I don't want to say no, but oh. no, it ain't. <laughs> We're all adopted. You know how it be. <laughs> uh, Crazy, man. So they then put on this exhibit called The Outlaw Who Would Never Be Captured Alive <laughs> using McCurdy's corpse. They even stole his gimmick. They stole it all. Uh, they show his corpse off until 1922. Okay. Um, until Patterson sold his operations to Lewis Sonny. Okay. Louis Sonny was um, also this showman slash con man who used McCurdy's corpse in his traveling museum of crime. So he'd go city to city to set up the museum of crime. That's like the episode of Black Mirror. Yes. Yeah. Um, the museum of crime featured wax replicas of famous outlaws such as Bill Doolin and Jesse James. And, and mummified replicas and, of Elmer McCurdy <laughs> and, uh, Wyatt, and Wyatt Earp. And uh, it went around for a couple of years until 1928, where the corpse was part of the official sideshow 
that accompanied the Trans-American foot race. <laughs> that's so funny and weird. Like, it makes sense, you know, because it's like just the big show is a fair yeah. kind of thing. But that's so funny. Um, and then in 1933, uh, a director by the name of Dwayne Esper uh, put out a movie called Narcotic. Okay. Uh, Narcotic was uh, a movie talking all about, like, the blights and bad sides of drug addiction. So Dwight Esper gets McCready's corpse, puts it on display in the lobbies of movie theaters across the U.S., saying that it is, quote, the corpse of a dead dope fiend who killed himself surrounded by police after he robbed a drugstore to support his habit. That's kind of true, if you're being poetic yeah. about it. <laughs> uh, but That's so fucked, man. Did you have those, did you have, uh, when you were in high school, did you have the DUI things? They bring yes. in the fucked up cars and show and you the rotten.com pictures? Uh, the one we had, it wasn't my school that did it, but it was the school my mom taught at. Um, they did it every year where they had the theater kids. And you oh, they'd react. react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the first room you'd go in, they're like having a party. And it's like, hey, Rachel, you want to drink some of this beer? <laughs> it's like, I really shouldn't. I'm driving. He's like, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> and then the next one, it's a court, like the actual corner of my small town knocking on a classroom door and going, uh, your daughter died in a car crash last night. I like the idea that the coroner would be the one to deliver the news. <laughs> hey, sorry to break it. I'm going to do this one personally. This is a personal. I'm going to. I got to give this news in person. And then you'd go out into like the parking lot, and yeah, they'd had fucked up cars, and it's like this is Rachel. She is splayed out in the hood of this in 2009 Ford Focus. <laughs> um, yeah, we had we had that. We had the presentation. We had the we. A couple of years they did the reenactment, not through rooms, but they did it on stage. But yeah, they had the fucking and like you know, I was a ne'er do well teen, so I'm familiar with rotten and all that stuff. I had seen a lot of that gore shit before, mm -hmm. but I was like, it was weird. It was like my secret was being shared. It's like guys, you can't show everybody else these <laughs> pictures. They can't see the shit. Well, I'm not supposed to see this shit. What if people get more and more desensitized as time goes on, and they're like, hey guys, if you'll all congregate in the parking lot, it's time for our drink, uh, drunk driving, um, like assembly and it's like <laughs> they go and practice no they just go all right guys uh this is your classmate tommy um we have been serving him booze since 11 o'clock this morning tommy go ahead and he gets in a car and just slams into a building and they're like don't do this all right go back to class <laughs> it's morbid but that's a that's the squid game like, future we're looking at yeah, like absolutely right. hey guys don't drink and drive this what fuck you did it um <laughs> Guys, did you not did you not put in the safety things that we What did we do? Don't press that button. Well, why is it existing? Car explodes. <laughs> so yeah, they they put his body in the lobby of a bunch of movie theaters to Dude, that's to crazy. promote narcotics. So yeah, that's so fucked. Could you imagine going to like trying to see this like I'm trying to even think of what maybe like a Bond movie yeah. or whatever. And they've just got a Goddamn zombie. Well, not a zombie, a mummy, a mummified cowboy that's an alleged dope. Also, how'd that happen? I like that story because it's like, what did he do so many drugs that he mummified himself? Yes, yeah, so uh, <laughs> the body had been mummified because of the arsenic. Because the arsenic, preserved. yeah. It dried out his skin. Um, the skin had become hard and shriveled, and the body shrunk had shrunk. And Esper was like, the skin's deteriorate. That's what you do if you do dope, you guys. Your skin just looks like that now. <laughs> you do drugs, your skin becomes hard and craggly. You're going to look like this fucking 50-year-old corpse. 
just imagine like I don't know. You go to see Avengers Endgame, and there's just a dead dude in a Captain America costume like in the lobby. The human equivalent of the white dog turd, you know, just. This I is, did math. This is what happened during Thanos' snap. Isn't that sick, you guys? And it's like, is that a fucking dead guy in this AMC? <laughs> well, it's not that different from um, the the bodies exhibit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know about that. Oh yeah, they, that shit terrified me. And well, the, those are those bodies weren't volunteered. A lot of those bodies were snatched from people. Now they weren't murdered, but yeah. they were people who died um, without a lot of attachment. And it happened in China. And as someone who used to live there, I can say. <clears throat> with some confidence that it's easy for pretty much anybody to disappear and you got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm a pretty firm believer. I know that this might be inflammatory, but we're going to find out at some point that those bodies were absolutely stolen from yeah. people who didn't. Yeah. I, uh, cause I know some of them were, I think the thing that sucks about the bodies thing is imagine being the guy who you die of like natural causes. And then your they life use kind of Yep. They use you in the bodies exhibit. <laughs> And your entire afterlife is just 12-year-old kids making fun of the size of your dong. <laughs> just being like, dude, look how small that guy's penis is. I like to think that's what the deal with David was. It was <laughs> revenge. He was like, that's not, my dick's a little bigger than that. He's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David slept with Da Vinci's wife. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, here's that giant statue of you, dude. And he's like, why'd you make my dick so small? And no one's going to believe you, huh? <laughs> Mona Lisa's a very, like, unflattering portrait of his wife. He went back and... The reason it looks like it's been painted over is because it was. It was, like, a really flattering portrait of his wife, and then he found out. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to fix that. <laughs> so, uh, McCurdy's corpse makes the carnival circuit for years and years and years, and then just kind of disappears. And people don't really know what happened to it. They lost track of it. This happens so much. We learned this with the Minnesota Iceman, too. Mm -hmm. But they do not give a fuck about those roadside attractions, man. Not when they disappear, all. they go in the dumpster. So we get to December 8th, 1976, uh, where a production crew of the television show Six Million Dollar Man are filming scenes for an episode called uh, Carnival of Spies. Um, and they're filming it in Long Beach, California at the Pike, which is like any, you know, just... Marina, the Pike is show. Yeah, the Pike is like uh, Coney Island for LA. Yeah. Um, so they are in this wax museum uh, filming parts of the episode to where they see um, this wax, well, what they believe to be a wax mannequin hanging in gallows. And they're like, hey, we really can't show that on TV. Um, the, the prop man, can you move that out of the shot? So he goes to grab this, what he thought to be a wax mannequin, to move it. And uh, the mannequin's arm breaks off, and he sees human bone and muscle tissue. <laughs> and so he just kind of drops it, and he's Bro? like, Bro, that's not a mannequin. <laughs> um, what the fuck is this? So they call the police. The police show up. They're like, oh, that's fucking weird. Um, they take it to the L.A. coroner's office. And December 9th, uh, Dr. Joseph Choi conducts an autopsy. And he said, well... This is not a wax mannequin. This is the corpse of a human male who died of a gunshot wound to the chest. I don't know if you guys remember who died of a gunshot wound to the chest and who this episode's about, but that was Elmer McCurdy. So over the years that he disappeared, at some point he'd wound up as a prop in this prop or in this funhouse. Mm -hmm. Man, what a conversation! You know, like do you think that prop guy was like, you think like he and a PA PA was like, hey man, you're a prop guy. Does that look like a prop guy? Uh, director told me I gotta take it down. 
does that look like a prop to you? And he was like, oh, you're right. Let me go take a look at it. And he was like, went to take it down. I was like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh. <laughs> so, uh. How fucking scary, too. Like, that, I know that it was the, the 70s, but still, and the tropes weren't quite as strong. But could you imagine if you were working on a TV crew? And you went in, and the first thing you went to move was a dead guy? Like, nope, pack it up. We're getting the fuck out of here. These guys are murderers. This is some Scooby-Doo shit. Hills have eyes. Get the fuck out of here. So it's pretty, like, you're thinking, oh, there's just a corpse in front of them. How could they not know? Well, it was kind of easy for them not to know. Because the body was completely petrified. Yeah, it was mummified, so it's like it didn't smell or anything. It was covered in wax. They actually took the time to cover it in wax and then coat it in layers of phosphorus paint. So he was so, even painted. It, he was painted. So it did look like a prop, like a wax museum prop. Uh, the body only weighed 50 pounds because of how dried out it was. And it was only 63 inches tall. Interesting. And there was still some hair visible on the sides and back of the head. But the ears, the big toes, and all of the fingers were missing. And you know they just sort of fell off. Mm-hmm. And th- I wonder how many of them were accounted for. When it went MIA, I wonder if it just ended up in some collection where some fucking intern one day was in the basement bored and was just like breaking this dude's fucking fingers off his hand. Selling them? No, just not knowing. Just like, you know, just like kind of fucking with the thing, you know, like, oh, this is weird. This is so realistic. (laughs) Like a Halloween thing. Um, They, the the examination also revealed incisions from his original autopsy and embalming. And they did a bunch of tests. They test showed that the tissue uh, showed the presence of arsenic, which was an embalming fluid in the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, they also revealed tuberculosis in the lung tissue. So they found out that he got um, tuberculosis. It showed bunions and scars that McCurdy was documented to have in his actual original autopsy. Um they also said that while the bullet that caused the fatal wound was removed during the uh, original autopsy, mm-hmm. the bullet jacket was found still in his body. Oh, crazy. Mm-hmm. Man, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, so all of this kind of came to be because it made, like, you know, we're spooky season. We're talking about sort of like the <clears throat> more common tropes. And I wanted to do something about urban legends. And the spookiest urban legend that comes to mind to me around this sort of thing is the Wizard of Oz. Yes. Uh, the alleged um, little person that has hung themselves in the woods in the Wizard of Oz, um, which, of course, turned out to not be that. Yeah. There's also, I really love the one from Three Men and a Baby of the guy in the window, the Ted Danson that's in the window. It's mm-hmm. just a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. Uh, you know, so there's there's like a strong urban lore to this, and it's because it really did happen, and it was because it happened to Elmer. How it happened to Elmer still remains a mystery, um, but I think you can kind of fill in some of the blanks. He was pretty clearly disregarded. You know, he was a piece of trash. Yeah. I don't mean I don't mean Elmer was a piece of trash. Well, I kind of was. Yeah, Elmer was kind of a piece of trash. Um, yeah. But they still haven't discovered the identity of this body. They're narrowing it down. Uh, the The... Bullet jacket was determined to be a gas check, which were first used in 1905, and they were stopped u- uh, stopped being used in 1940. So that narrows it down. Yeah. Um, they then keep looking, and they're like, well, let's uh, try to do a dental assessment, see if we can get dental records. They pop his mandible off, and inside his mouth find a 1924 penny and ticket stubs 
to the um, 140 West Pike Sideshow and uh, Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime. People used his mouth as a trash can? Mm-hmm. So, uh, they one then, asshole kid in 1924 that put a penny in there. They then uh, contact Dan Sonny, the son of Lewis Sonny, uh, and he was like, yeah, no, my dad used to have that on display. That is the body of Elmer McCurdy. Um, a forensic anthropologist, Dr. Clyde Snow, then called uh, in to make a positive identification. He took radiographs of the skull, placed them over a photo of McCurdy. Uh, it was common to take a headshot when someone died back then. So he, he overlapped it, and he was like, uh, yep, we're pretty sure that that is the skull of Elmer McCurdy. We have positively identified the body. Jeez, man. And so is the long, sad, pathetic life of Elmer <laughs> McCurdy, the outlaw that never got started. So um, on December 11th of 1976, uh, the story of McCurdy's journey had been featured in newspapers and on TV and radio. And several funeral homes called the coroner's office offering to bury McCurdy uh, free of charge. They're like, hey, we'll bury him. Um, but the officials decided to wait to see if any living relatives will come forward to claim the body. Um, that brings us to Fred Olds, who represented the Indian Territory Posse of Oklahoma Westerns, um, convinced Dr. Thomas Noguchi, that, uh, who was then the chief medical examiner coroner for the county of Los Angeles, to bury the body in Oklahoma. Um, after further investigation, uh, to ensure proper identification, Olds was allowed to take custody of the body. And in April 22nd of 1977, there was a funeral procession um, to go to the Boot Hill section of the Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Uh, a gravesite service attended by approximately 300 people was conducted, after which McCurdy was buried next to Billy the Kid. Ah, well, yeah, because it's Boot Hill. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, he was... He was buried next to Billy the Kid, um, and to ensure that McCurdy's body would not be stolen, two feet of concrete was buried over his casket. Damn. Mm -hmm. Damn. Two they put him six feet in the ground, put concrete two feet up, and there he has rested you gotta since go 1977. In, you gotta go in from the bottom. Yeah, you gotta go eight feet down and come up. Oh, no, I mean through China. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You get yourself a spoon and just start digging. Yeah. Journey to the sun. A hammer. Yeah. A hammer. Spend two hours digging through the earth. Exactly. So thus ends the life, death, and afterlife Dude, what of a fucking McCready. Yeah, we're going to have to go say, uh, pay our respects at the McCready yeah. grave. Uh, he somehow made more money in his afterlife than he ever did while being alive. Well, he never made himself a damn That's dime. True. Yeah. The only money he ever made himself was fused to the wall of a safe. Go pay our respects by giving him a jacket. $46. Two Demi Johns of whiskey. Two Demi Johns of whiskey, a revolver, and a coat. <laughs> It'll be like, thank you. God. $47. And he, his corpse will start to cry and say, This is the most money I've ever made. <laughs> yeah, man. It's funny when we come across these cases because, like, this one started out as. You know, I was like, okay, urban legends, which ones are real? Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's like Zodiac Killer and that sort of shit. But like, which ones do we know are real? And Elmer is a real case of something spooky that really could happen to anybody, unfortunately. Yeah. Especially anybody with bad enough luck as Elmer or incompetence or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, Elmer, like, he didn't do all that well in his life. Uh, he didn't really do all that well in his afterlife. And it's interesting sometimes when the stories have more to tell. 
You know, occasionally it's like, uh, not to always bring it back to that, but it's like when we were talking about James Dean, yeah. you know, like sometimes a case is a lot bigger than you thought it was. We thought today we were just going to talk about a spooky urban legend of a guy in a fun house. And it turns out the real story is that that guy was a dumbass and it's very funny and we should all laugh at it because <laughs> he was so bad at being an outlaw. He really was. There's a lot of shit in there that reminds me of Red Dead because like Fenton, when uh, Hosea and uh, why can't I think of his name? Seamus? No, the fucking the Arthur. Oh, Arthur. When they go yeah. to town, when they go to town to sell the booze, he plays a dimwit named Fenton. And I think that's very funny. It mm-hmm. feels very, a lot of the stuff in here feels like they knew the story of Elmer McCurdy when they yeah. were, and then, I mean, I'm sure they did. Yeah. All right. Well, if that's the end of the podcast, Caleb, uh, obviously everybody, if you're listening uh, on YouTube, feel free to leave a comment about it. I think it's a pretty interesting case and feel free to poke fun at the man. If you're listening, otherwise just laugh to yourself. Uh, riddle time, I suppose. Yes. Uh, last week's riddle, which I got a lot of, uh, like personal messages, like texts. And Leave stuff. it in the comments, guys. Mm-hmm. The comments. Don't text him. Uh, last week's was a man is found murdered on a Sunday morning. His wife calls the police, who questions the wife and the staff, and are given the following alibis: the wife was sleeping, the butler was cleaning the closet, the gardener was picking vegetables, the maid was getting the mail, and the cook was making breakfast. Who was the killer, and how did the police determine who it was? It was the maid. Uh, it was a Sunday, so there was no mail to get. Yep. So the maid is the one that killed him. Uh, this week we have another mystery for everyone to solve. Oh. Well, put in mystery music right here. Uh, two girls ate dinner together. They both ordered iced tea. One girl was very thirsty and drank hers very fast, then ordered two more, down those as well. The other girl wasn't thirsty, slowly sipped her one tea. The girl who drank one tea died, but the other survived. All of the tea was poisoned. How did this happen? Nice. Well, leave your answers in the comments. Think about it for a little while. This is a good one. And uh, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Stop!